Um, Sean Connors, great Maddie Nevitt with um, the uh, Big V Racing at 18 past 12, our Wednesday uh, profile. Today it's Amy Yagi joining us. How are you, Amy? I'm good, thank you, Cosby. How are you? Oh, I'm fighting fit. We thought we'd have a chat with you today. And we're talking earlier on with Maddie Stewart, and we mentioned your pedigree. Of course, your great-grandsire is uh, Jim Houlihan, legendary trainer, and uh, he didn't take it up till late in life, did he? No, I'm I'm far ahead of him, but I hope I have half as much <laughs> success, and I think we'll still be going okay. <laughs> now, we've got to ask, because Maddie Stewart asked us to ask the story of Jim Houlihan picking up an anvil and walking around the stables with it, correct? <laughs> Yes, this is true. This is one of his famous stories. He's as strong as an ox, Jim, even in his older age. But um, no, this is true. He could um, he could lift things and do things that most men couldn't. He was quite a remarkable human. So was he doing that just to show off his strength, or was there an actual purpose to, to walking the anvil around the stables? I don't know, but it's probably one of those things, if you can do it, why not? Yeah. Not many other people are getting around doing it, are they? So I don't know if there was actually a purpose to it or not, but it is true that he could do it, and he made sure everyone knew about that too. <laughs> I've got to say, Pat, your brother, he's a big boy. Like if, you know, I wouldn't be like to be taking him on picking up handles. I know he'd wipe the floor with you, but the gym cleaned him up. Yes, no, I reckon, um, I don't know if Pat's done it or not, but I reckon if there was anyone willing and able, I reckon he'd be pretty capable as well. But um, we come from a strong line of people, my family. <laughs> now, Amy, you've laid, I mentioned this the other day, you've had a terrific strike rate and you put a lot of work into it at selecting horses and buying them online, tried horses. Holster was a great example. I think you paid about 70 for him and he's won a couple hundred grand. Yeah, he was one that we paid a little bit more money for, but he had a heap of upside. Um, very nicely bred horse was always a, a really nice framed horse but particularly mature and he's just gone from strength to strength and uh, it's really good seeing racing in such good form and um, you know it's one of those things patience it's one of the most seldom used but obviously costs nothing and you can be really rewarded for it too in racing and I think that's what's happened with Tolster. What did you fork out for him? He was seventy thousand, so he was he's one of my most expensive um, tried horse purchases. Usually, I don't pay that much, but I, I absolutely loved him, and I wasn't not going to buy him. You do a lot of homework researching them. What do you look for? I do. Um, they have to tick a lot of boxes. Mainly, well, I don't buy ugly horses as a start. Um, <laughs> they've got to be good looking, and they've got to be you know nice physical types. Uh, you, wouldn't look at, you wouldn't look at me, Tyson. <laughs> <laughs> lucky we're not trying to race you, Cosby. <laughs> <No. laughs> um, that is very lucky. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've, got, I've got to like their form. I've got to like their pedigree. Um, see that if I think that, you know, I, I can I can forgive lots of things with their form and if they've had any gear changes and the breed. And there's just so many bits and pieces. And, you know, you don't get it right all the time, but we've been getting it right a bit, which is nice. And... It's, it is good when you, it all does come together and you can buy the right horses for good value. I also think that's extremely important. It's all well and good to go out there and anyone can go to the sales and buy an expensive horse. But the way that I look at it is how many races you have to win to win mm. that back. And I always want to be um, in the green and not in the red with horses that we buy. So that's definitely uh, one of the major contributing factors. Yeah, it's obviously a great formula for success for a lot of different trainers and it seems to be something that is becoming more and more popular um, with these sorts of, uh, with this sort of avenue to actually getting horses in your stable and, and turning them over in a profitable way. Have you found that it's become a little bit more competitive and you've had to fork out uh, more money for these sort of horses whereas in the past you were, you were getting them on, uh, on the cheap a lot more? Yeah, I'd, I'd like to think that everyone sort of copied me a little bit, but I think everyone got onto the idea at the same time. But we did have quite a bit of success with these cheaper sort of horses, and um, everyone sort of started to do a similar sort of thing. And I think 
during COVID as well, uh, there was obviously not very many actual horse sales that people could attend. So the online digital sales of, of tried racehorses became um, far more common and far more popular. And it was interesting too, like during that time, because no one was able to go out and do anything, we were all a little bit concerned as to how uh, sellable horses were going to be during that, um, you know, uncertain times. But I found from our own business, people were jumping out of trees to buy shares in horses, I think, because they wanted a hobby and something to do and something to sort of keep them going and keeping them interested and motivated when there was not much else to do. So for our industry, um, you know, there were a, a couple of positives from, you know, extremely trying times throughout the, the whole world, really. And these days too, Amy, going back years ago, you, you've got to be a bit more honest these days with when you're selling the horse as to how you represent it, haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. We give full disclosure. Um, we're pretty no BS kind of people. So if they've had injuries, well, you, you are you are going by, um, you know, you need to be an honest seller of a horse too um, and give as much information as you can. We get horses vet checked and all that sort of stuff too. You can quite often see, you know, if a horse was only raced last week and there was nothing in a steward's report to say that it pulled up unsound and it's been racing in good form up until this point, where you know, you can sort of bid with a fair bit of confidence that that horse is going to be a sound racing proposition to continue on. But, you know, like I said, there's lots of gambles. Just because a horse is sound today doesn't mean they're going to be sound tomorrow and, and vice versa, I suppose. But, um, yeah, it's nice when they all come together. And, yeah, as we said, the success with, that we've had with Holster... Um, just as one example, it's been really good of late. This is Big V Racing. You're with Matt Nemitt and Sean Cosgrove. Amy Yagi is our profile for uh, this Wednesday afternoon. Amy, just on those tried horses, um, are they a hard sell to new uh, to new owners coming into horse racing, or do you tend to have more owners that sort of understand the game a bit more, who are more inclined to, to buy into those sort of tried horses? Because I guess if you're a new owner out there and you look at a horse that's had a couple of starts and hasn't been successful, you might be um, sort of turned off by it, or do you find that they, they are a bit more receptive to it? Yeah, quite the opposite, actually. I find that a lot of first-time owners, I'll quite often say to them to go into a tried horse mm-hmm. because they don't have to wait very long. Um, you can see that the horse has been consistent and people seem to buy into our tried horses with a lot of confidence. I can, um, all the tried horses, Mainly, I'm just buying them because I like them and I know that I'll be able to get them sold because people will back my judgment pretty much. Um, but, yeah, I find that it's actually a really good way. And a lot of the time, you don't have to spend much money. It makes it extremely affordable for people. They don't have to wait very long. Quite often, the horses are race fit. You could be at the races within a month or so. And it's just a nice little way to dip their toes in for low cost and low risk with the financial side of things. And, yeah, not much time to wait. So I think it's a great way for people to get involved in their first horse and then from there you know then they can go and look at buying yearlings and stuff like that but sometimes you go to the yearling sales and horses need time to mature and it might be a year or 18 months before they even get to the race but sometimes even longer so i think it's a great way for people to get involved just to dip their toes in Gang Gitano went around to Caulfield Saturday named after the lovely Alphonse Gang Gitano he had an interesting lifestyle <laughs> I don't know how many people refer to him as the lovely Alphonse Gaetano, yeah. but um, <laughs> our, cult's lo- our cult's a lovely horse anyway. So he uh, he went really well the other day. We were very proud of him, and yeah, he went exactly as we thought he would. Well, I hope he goes better than Alphonse, because I'll give you a tip a couple of times. Alphonse come off second best against the Coppers, I can tell you. <laughs> he didn't pull, up, didn't pull up very well. <laughs> he, uh, your horse pulled up nicely, though, I suppose. Coming to the corner, he's looking thought, what's he going to do? Is he going to wobble around that yeah, turn? Yeah, really well. We're just... 
he, he looked a bit dorky out there for a little while, didn't he? Yeah, he was um, He was really green. We knew that the 1,000 metres would be run along a little bit too quick for him, but uh, thought it was just a nice race to kick him off in and that he'd learn a lot from the experience. Um, obviously, we drew a little bit sticky out wide. We elected just to go back. See, we gave Craig no specific instructions, just said how things turn out once the, um, you know, the gates open, but we envisaged that he would probably be towards the rear of the field. Uh, and that's the way that it sort of worked out. As they ran along in a really quick tempo, you could see him come off the bridle at the, about the 400-metre mark and had a couple of little nervous moments because you never liked him didn't do that. It wasn't a massive surprise, but still, you're just like, oh, please get going and hit the line. Don't make us look silly <laughs> here. But um, sure enough, he, uh, once he straightened up and balanced up, he really hit the line and ran home. He broke 23 seconds. He's last 400. He's run 22.39, I think it was, which is... You know, he's done an exceptional job to pick himself up and hit the line like that, and we think that he's going to be a pretty handy horse for us going forward. It's like sending a kid to school on the first day. Don't get hurt, don't get into trouble, don't bring a note home and just get home safe. I know, that's all we wanted. And, it's, you know, there's so many unknowns. Like, just, you don't know if they're going to, you know, behave in the gates or if they're going to get scared by something or, you know, like it's... You educate them just like your children, I suppose. You teach them their manners and their pleases and thank yous and... Um, try and make them street smart and everything like that. And then once the gate's open, it's sort of up to them and hopefully they cope well, and he most certainly did. Well, there's some very smart two-year-olds in the race, so it's going to be a good, good form reference moving forward, I reckon, that particular race. So, Amy, just tell us a little bit about your, your upbringing. Obviously, we've touched on the fact that racing's in your blood, but um, were you always destined to be a trainer? I know you were a, a star show jumper as a kid. I used to show jump a lot, yeah. I, I never really wanted to be a racehorse trainer, not when I was younger. Um, I just wanted to ride show jumpers and um, there's no money in it over here in Australia. I went overseas and, and rode show jumpers for a while as well. Um, but then I was always just sort of riding track work and you could earn good money and still be able to go out and compete on weekends with my show jumpers. So uh, then it just sort of naturally progressed from there. Got a little bit time poor. It was hard to do all of those things. And, um, yeah, just made the natural progression uh, into being a trainer. I sort of never really had... It's not like one day I said, right, I'm going to do this. And that was, you know, it's just sort of been a natural progression, really. Um, if I wasn't a trainer, I reckon I'd probably be a midwife or something, or a paramedic, I reckon. But um, quite interested in all that sort of stuff. But also training nice horses. Um, yeah, we'll just keep on doing this, I reckon. <laughs> Amy, i tell you what, these days, a good show jumper costs nearly as much as a good galloper. Mm. Oh, the money is unbelievable now for horses. Even kids' ponies, yeah. far out. Mm. Like, they're... They're worth a fortune. It's, it's crazy. Even for back when I was show jumping, and I sound old. I'm only 36. But I sound old when you're going back when I was a kid. You know, 20 years ago, <laughs> um, like you didn't have to pay if you spent 10 grand on a horse. Like you had a really nice horse when you were show jumping back then. Like, and that wasn't really achievable for most people. But now, like, unless you're sort of spending minimum 40 grand on a horse as a show jumper, like you're not even competing barely. Um, it's quite remarkable, the cost of horses, but the prize money doesn't seem to have... I'm a little bit out of it, but it's no, it's nowhere near comparable, you know, for the, for the outlay and everything like that. But um, oh, it's a great sport. It's very fair and a lot of fun, and it takes a lot of skill too. But I've still got a, you know, deep love for show jumping. I wish I had some more time because I would potter about with not a $40,000 horse, no way, but I'd, I'd educate one myself off the track probably and um, have a bit of fun. But, 
Yeah, it's a little bit too time poor these days. Well, it's interesting. A friend of mine, Kate Nippis, she was a, a jockey and then track work rider in Sydney, had a shocking fall about five years ago where her horse got loose and galloped the wrong way and hit her head on when she was at a full gallop as well. And Kate hit the deck and uh, they held her down to keep her stable. She's got more metal in her back than you'd find the Sydney Harbour Bridge, putting her back together again. And these days, she can walk a little on sticks, but basically she's not working from the, the waist down. And she wants to go to the... Um, Paralympics in Paris, and she's working a butt off. She's riding, <clears throat> pardon me, the whole lot, but it's going to cost something like $50,000 to get her a horse that is just competitive mm. to go there. And it's amazing, uh, isn't it? Yeah. And the, the horses for our, um, you know, para equestrian team, they are just amazing. But they're just such special, special animals. And you know, I've got complete admiration for our whole para equestrian team, too. I just think they're extraordinary. and yeah, if, any, if we can help in any way to, you know, get the word out there to help Kate yeah. get a nice horse too, we'll, we'll do anything we can to help. But, um, yeah, it takes it most definitely takes a special horse and the horse and rider need to have, you know, even more of a special bond than a normal combination do as well, obviously, um, you know, with all those extra factors taken into account. But, no, they're, um, they're incredible athletes, both the horses and our riders. Actually, Amy, she's, she's one like young lady will get on one day because they, they took her to hospital and they said to her, basically, uh, you'll never walk again. The doctors told her that. And her mum said, you will. She said, I believe my mum, not the doctors. And she walked, yep. walked out of the hospital on the sticks. And uh, she she is just, I tell you, she had a, heart, a racehorse or any of that had a heart as big as hers. And, yep. uh, yeah, um, we've got to get into Paris somehow for the Paralympics. She's uh, just amazing. No, what? no we'll, make, we'll make that happen, and mums know best, don't they? They always do. So. <laughs> yeah, too right. Hey, what's yeah. been the most satisfying moment for you with the horses over the years? Hmm, good question. Um, I don't really know, Cosy. I haven't thought about pinpointing one exact moment, really. Um, winning at a Voca in a race for me, a benchmark 58. <laughs> Was that ranked there all right? Well, I wasn't going to say that, but, you know, that's pretty special yeah. when training, training those sort of, you know, big, big races for those big owners like yourself. Like, that's pretty, uh, pretty high up there. Yeah. But funnily enough, that wasn't the first thing that was coming to my mind, uh, as, special, yeah. as special as it is. Um, I, think any, I think my first Bloomington winner was really special. Um, even your first winner, you know, like it's all those sort of stuff is memorable. We were very proud of our, of our young two-year-old on Saturday to get him stakes placed at his first start. And mm. considering we think that he's got a really bright future too, it's quite an exciting time for us. And it's sort of one of those little things like, yeah, we've been a bit like ducks, I suppose. You know, like calm on the surface and our little legs are going a million miles under the water. We've been working really hard for a number of years and we've got a lovely team of untried, um, like young horses, two- and three-year-olds. So... I feel like we're going to get a little bit of momentum going now. And, um, yeah, we've been working extremely hard for this for years. So hopefully everything sort of falls into into place and that can happen and we can win a couple of nice races. Talented family. Your grandfather can lift anvils. Your mother does the best Marilyn Monroe impersonation. Singing. <laughs> she does. She does. She does. What about you? you? Know, What's your hidden talent? Uh, jelly bean guessing competition champion, Cozzy. <laughs> jelly bean guessing competition? Yes. So, so what, I hold my hand closed and you've got to guess the colour, is that right? No, I've won two jelly bean guessing competitions in my life. Oh, the amount. Uh, oh, okay, in, gotcha. In, in the jar, you yep. know, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, how yeah. many jelly beans are in the jar? Champion. Magnificent. There you go. That's so, something uh, I'd, I'd like to get on my CV. Yeah, 
I think it's impressive. Yeah. <laughs> I've, got, I've got it on my Twitter profile. It's one of my main claims to fame. At, at least you can always recycle that answer when you get asked what your hidden talent is. It's just one you, you just wheel out whenever <laughs> whenever you get asked. <laughs> I, one more question from me, um, Amy. Um, what's it like to be in a, a training partnership with your husband? It's it's probably, well, it is more uncommon, isn't it, that there's not all that many husband and wife training partnerships out there. What's it like? No, we work really well together. I think we um, seem to complement each other really well. Um, we've been together for 15 years, married for 10 in another two weeks with our 10-year wedding anniversary. And uh, I think, yeah, I think we really complement each other quite well. We've got different ideas. We're on the same page with the way that we do things that, uh, it's good to bounce ideas off each other, you know, on a day-to-day basis. We'll be saying, what do you think we should do with this horse? And do you think it needs one more gallop going into this race? Or do we do this work or that work? Or, you know, there's so many, so many decisions that you have to make for all the horses on a, on a day-to-day basis with, you know, what they're doing and where they're going. So, uh, it's good to have someone to bounce those ideas off. And between the two of us, you know, once, sometimes one of us will feel strongly about something and we go, okay, no problem. If that's the way we want to do it, we'll do it. So, and then whoever whoever's right, yeah. they get bragging rights. And if they're wrong, then, you know, you get to turn around to your husband and go, I told you we shouldn't have done yeah, that. So right. it's good. So yeah. Yeah, if someone ends up right all the time. It's great. Does, does that make it, I guess, more difficult when you're at home to actually switch off from work? Or as a horse trainer, is that, in some respects, a bit of a blessing because you're always at work? Well, I make it a rule in our house. That's when we come inside and, like, 5 o'clock, 5.30, that sort of thing. I just say no more horses. Yeah. We don't. It's, we just clock off, we're mum and dad, we're husband and wife, we cook tea and have a glass of wine and, you know, do the kids' talk, readers and, you know, all that sort of mm. just normal stuff. And Ash finds it a little bit more difficult to switch off than what I do and I just give him the, you know, the dusty don't argue sort yeah. of thing, put the hand up and, no, we're not talking about it now. So talk to me in business hours because it's very difficult and with owners sort of bringing and calling and that sort of stuff too. We definitely, you know, you need to make time to sort of switch off because, we're available on the phone from when we wake up at three thirty, four o'clock in the morning. The phone starts calling, and we can't be available twenty four seven. So it, um, you definitely need to just sort of draw a line in the sand. And my phone will go on do not disturb at sort of six o'clock at night. And yeah, you need to sort of switch off a little bit because otherwise it's a bit unrelenting. Especially you know we live on our own property, so we'll always look outside, and you'll be going, you'll hear a little you know a banging noise outside. So you'll get up and you go out and make sure the horses are okay or. Whatever. So you definitely need time to sort of switch off and uh, and just be a normal person as well, even though we're it is hard enough to do and we are pretty committed to the horses too. But uh, yeah, try and try and switch off from the partnership at night anyway. So Amy Yagi, Jellybean Guessing Champion, is your slogan? Let's work as a team and do it my way. Yes, pretty much. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, I thought I thought I was wrong once, but I was mistaken. <laughs> <laughs> Amy, wonderful to catch up. Thanks for joining us, and uh, good luck too with uh, with the horses. Great to great to have you on today. Thanks, Amy. Thanks very much, guys.